Good morning, Mars Hill. Good morning, it's very mild. This morning's teaching text is Matthew chapter 15, and we'll be starting at verse 29. You can find the reading on pages 904 and 905 of your shed Bibles. I'll give you a second to find it. All right, let's read together. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet. And he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you, everyone. Hey, my name is Troy. Happy to be one of the pastors here. Um, Just in case you were wondering, if you find yourself thinking, well, we've been praying a lot today, haven't we? You're welcome. Um, We won't apologize for that. We want to continue to be a faithfully praying people. And as Denise said, Um, as the lead needy person in our midst today, that we all are in that category. We'll get to that again a a little bit here later, but just want to name that, and we will continue to prioritize that practice together. Um, Before I jump into this text, I wanted to just give you an update. Uh, I know the last six or seven weeks, we've been talking a lot about money, and particularly we've been talking about our December giving, because December giving makes up so much uh, such a large percentage of our ministry year budget. It's important for us. And I just wanted to give you the update around that. So we were uh, looking to, to uh, receive $425,000 that would allow us to meet our budget. Um, we received just over 419. And that's really good news. So thank you for your... Thank you for your generous giving that puts us just, uh, just a bit under, that makes up a lot of ground, frankly, of, uh, of our deficit throughout the whole rest of the year. I just want to also say that it is a deficit. <laughs> um, and it's just is it true. It's just still a shortfall. And so we want to continue to be, again, faithfully pray and ask that God will provide for us, but also recognize that that is the reality in front of us, and we as a ministry staff will be faithful and prudent and careful with what we do with this money, but we want to pay attention to all that. So anyway, that's the update. Thank you so much for those of you who participated uh, through the month of December. Um, Okay. In... I want to rewind the tape to May of 2023, which is only about seven years ago, right? 
Um, May of 2023, I stumbled into a new devotional practice. I'm a pretty disciplined person. I'm a person who can stick with habits dispositionally pretty well. This isn't a pat on the back. I'm just made up that way. And so for a bunch of different years, I had a pretty consistent prayer practice and a pretty consistent reading of Scripture practice. Um, But I found myself... Around my birthday in late April, I felt, I felt a bit of stuckness. It's the best way I can describe it. I sort of felt a little bit stuck. And then um, of, of someone that I know on Bookface was, Facebook, um, was organizing and inviting a small group of people to participate in a practice with him. And uh, so I said yes to a new devotional practice in the month of May. I joined a handful of other people who decided we were going to look at the book of Galatians and we were going to write it out by hand five verses a day at a time. And so essentially if you do the math, at 29.8 days you get all of Galatians covered if you go five verses at a time. So it took up the bulk of the month of May. And um, I got to say, I loved it. Uh, it, it. It slowed my pace down. It's interesting to think about the pace of writing versus the pace of reading. And I found myself truly dwelling in the Word a little bit more. It challenged a little bit of my, um, my desire, even in a devotional practice, to accomplish something. Can I get an Amen. Um, I've, five verses is not very much. In my practice, I was used to following the daily office readings, a psalm, an Old Testament, a New Testament, and a gospel reading. I was accustomed to tackling a lot of text, and now I was voluntarily limiting myself to five verses. Sometimes the verses would stop mid-sentence, and I had to figure out what to do with that. And then uh, the other thing is uh, there was a kind of permanence to the text, It was different than just reading it. I found myself sort of drawn again to this text which supposedly never fades away, which always endures. And so I was drawn into this practice. In fact, I decided to keep going. The group stopped in May. In June, I decided to pick it up again. And so I went to the book of Romans and then I went to 1 Corinthians, and then I went to 2 Corinthians. And then as of this past Thursday, I just finished writing out the book of Matthew. Over this course of time, I wrote just, I counted it up as just a little over 2,300 verses I've been writing out by hand. Again, this is not a self-congratulatory moment. This is me trying to say to you, I hope you hear two things. Um, Sometimes we need to mix it up. Sometimes our devotional practices need just a little bit of fresh life breathed into them. I, me included. It was a good thing for me to step into something a bit new. Um, but the other thing I wanted to say was the text that we're going to look at today, I, I, I ran into it about mid-November in my writing this out. And it really got its hooks into me. And this particular question, how much bread do you have, really started to mess with me and rattle around inside of my head and my heart. So I, I'm eager to talk about that a little bit today. And just so you know, when today, when I'm going to be talking about bread, I want you to think about bread being more than just bread. Of course it's bread here. 
But for our purposes, let's think about bread as being more than just bread. Maybe you might consider bread today a, a bit of a metaphor, a bit of a picture for whatever resources you sense are needed, but that seem to be in short supply. Resources that are needed or required, but just there don't seem to be quite enough. So maybe today when you see bread, you think energy, or you think power, or you think endurance, or you think faith, or you think patience, or you think love. Imagine bread today being a symbol or a picture of resources that seem to be in short supply. Okay, let's get right into the story. Potentially very familiar story to many of us known in the text as the feeding of the 5,000. I want to say this. This is a significant story. Did you know that this is the only miracle, except for the resurrection, it's the only miracle that's told in all four of the Gospels? This is the only one that all of the Gospel writers tell. Significant. We should pay attention to that. In addition to that, Matthew and Mark, they go on and they tell another story that's sort of like a companion story. They tell the feeding of the 4,000. Now, if you look at these stories side by side, you think this is the exact same event. Almost all the details are the exact same. They seem to echo each other. Um, so it causes a little bit of confusion. Did it happen? Whatever. What we see here is we have six stories in the Gospels of miraculous feeding events. And I think it stresses to us, we need to be, we probably ought to pay attention to what's happening here. I think it's stressing the significance of this particular episode. Now, assuming for a second here that Mark and Matthew are correct, that there were two events that there was a feeding of 5,000 and then another event, 5,000 of just men, right? not counting women and children, and then another feeding of 4,000, not counting women and children. Let's assume there were two events. And the text that uh, Liz read for us this morning is the second event. It's the feeding of the 4,000. I'm using that um, to be representative of all six of these stories. But let's assume that there were two events for a minute, okay? Matthew and Mark are correct. I find it fascinating that the disciples are in another crisis, another episode that seems to be an awful, like, an awful lot like the one that they've already experienced, and they seem to be equally unsure what to do or what is going to happen. Do you find that interesting? Here they were in the face, in the presence of a miracle having happened, and they find themselves in another situation where another big group of people need fed, and they are confused. They don't know what to do. And I love it. I'm so glad that this is in the Bible. Because I forget. I forget. I forget God's past provisions. I forget God's past actions. I forget God's 
faithfulness. I, f- I forget. And I'm so glad that there is a picture in the Bible of some people in the presence of a miracle and in the presence of a miracle worker who seem to forget. I find great encouragement here. I hope you find a bit of encouragement because we all forget, don't we? We all forget. I hope there's something in that scene that brings a little bit of encouragement, maybe at the very least a little bit less shame, a little bit less self-hatred, a little bit less self-criticism. We are all forgetting all the time. Okay, that being said, I want to focus on four responses that we see in this episode. Two responses of the disciples, two responses of Jesus. That's where we're going, okay? First, I want to point out that um, the disciples in all of the stories, all six of these stories, they seem to respond in the same ways when they come face to face with the crisis. A big crowd, not enough food. They say something like this, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? The other alternative, the other stories tell that, that they actually recommend to Jesus that we should send the people away. The people should go somewhere else. Either way, what's happening is this. They say there's the solution for this problem, but it is somewhere else. It's not where we are. It's not here. The solution to this problem isn't present. We have to go find it. Resources are really limited. Meager meat and bits of bread. And the current reality just won't do. Do you see that phrase in this remote place? This is an unlikely place. This is not the kind of situation that's going to take care of this crisis. This echoes for me the people in the Old Testament wandering in the Exodus. In the wilderness, they're constantly saying to Moses, what are we doing out here? Why did you bring us out here just so that we would starve, just so that we would die of thirst? The psalmist, he summarizes all of those episodes in Psalm 78 with this. Could God really spread a table in the wilderness? In this remote place, In this wilderness, could God... And the disciples are making an assumption that this place won't do. We have to go somewhere else or send the people somewhere else. And then I'm struck because Jesus says, bring it to me. Don't go running off to the marketplace. Don't send the people away in search of what they need. Come to me. I wonder, how do we respond to crisis? How do we respond to a situation that we know needs more resources than we currently have? 
How do we respond? Is our impulse, is our impulse to go looking for solutions, go looking for answers out there in the marketplace in a nap? Thanks be to God, by the way, for naps. I remember those. In a nap, on social media, in a podcast, in a book, in a food, in a drink, in a website, do we go as our impulse to go out there? But I wonder what it might look like if our first impulse was to hear Jesus say, bring it to me. How does that change things for us? If that's our first impulse, to hear Jesus say, bring it to me. It's a really simple little example, but um, I, I, I love these collections of prayers and blessings. Every moment holy, I don't know if you're familiar with these, rush out and get all of them. Is it three volumes or so at this point? I love this particular example. It's in a, just a, a closing day prayer for husbands and wives. But notice there's this acknowledgement that resources are not available. I am not strong enough in my own strength to be your husband, to be your wife. And then it's, so let's turn together Let's turn to God together, asking for the strength that we need. Now, I know this is a simple example, but I want to stress for you this, that our habits, our tendencies, they are shaped and they are formed in simple, everyday moments. They're shaped in these very kinds of simple, everyday moments. It's in the normal, everyday turnings to Jesus, the practice of bringing to Jesus first. It's in that kind of habit that eventually the turning to Jesus becomes a habit, that it becomes routine for us, but it begins in the simple, everyday things. Friends, where are you looking? Where are you looking when the resources are in short supply? I want to encourage you, look to the one who was celebrated in Colossians chapter 1. The one through whom everything was created. The one through whom and the one for whom everything has been created. Look to that one. Bring it there first. Second response of the disciples. I want to admit that this is a little more imaginative. This is a little more speculative. The risk I'm running here potentially is that I'm projecting my own tendencies, my own temptations onto the text. That being said, when faced with situations or with crisis, when faced with resources that are obviously so limited, I think it's tempting to dismiss outright what is there. I think it's tempting in an answer to the question, how much bread do you have, to say nothing. I have nothing. I get a little sense of that even from the disciples. This is jumping stories, but in John, the disciples, they say this interesting thing. They say, how far will this go? They're just... I had this sense of what difference will this little bit of resource actually make? 
It might as well be nothing. And then as, as I've sat with this, I've, I sense a phrase, I sense God speaking a phrase to me. And so I offer it to you and trust that maybe it's for someone else as well. I sense God saying this phrase to me, not enough is still something. It's not nothing. Not enough is still something. Especially in the hands of Jesus. Jesus, who incorporates and receives and utilizes and multiplies. We'll get to that later. But especially in the hands of Jesus, not enough is still something. I'll admit that I began with an assumption when uh, I ran this teaching by Denise and Kyle this past week. And I said to them, the answer to the question, how much bread do you have, is always the same. And the answer is this, never enough. That's the answer. Never enough bread. Never enough. Never enough. And thankfully, through their gentle and wise pushing of me, I feel like I'm changed a little bit. That I don't want to be so quick to dismiss that I actually want to lean into an alternative posture, an alternative attitude to this question. I wonder what it might look like for me, I invite you along everybody, what might it look like to respond to the question, how much bread do you have, with a bit of expectation, a bit of expectation offering up whatever it is that I've got. Let me say it this way. What if we move from never enough to always a little? What kind of a shift is that for us? From never enough to always a little. And I can, I can take that always a little and I can offer that up with a kind of expectation to not dismiss outright what I've got but to say it's always a little and with faith and with expectation, with willing surrender, offer to Jesus my bits of bread, my meager meat, rather than just dismiss it outright as nothing. Okay. Two more responses. And these are ways that Jesus responds to this story. I love this beautiful statement. We heard it read already from Jesus in verse 32, where he says, I have compassion for these people. And I had a sense, I had a sense as I was studying and reflecting on this that maybe, maybe for some people today, this is enough to encounter. That maybe it's enough Get a glimpse of the loving Father's heart in Jesus' words. Maybe it's enough to see Jesus, God in the flesh, not speaking judgment, not pushing and pressing for perfect obedience, not pushing and pressing and demanding rule keeping, but in this moment, embodying, putting on display the, the compassion of God for the people 
that he has made. Maybe that's enough to rest in that wonderful moment. But then Jesus continues, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and they don't have anything to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Jesus naming, there are hungry and needy people who simply will not make it unless they are provided for. I wonder if anyone would identify with that. Being a hungry and needy person who simply will not make it unless you are provided for. Reminds me of this spot in, a, in 1 Kings 19. Elijah, one of God's prophets, on the run. He's a fugitive. And he's alone. And an angel comes to Elijah two times and feeds Elijah, who's weak and who needs to be provided for. And there's that second time that the angel feeds Elijah and says, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Reminds me of that moment here. And it reminds me that God is well aware how needy and how hungry you are. God is well aware of how needy and hungry you are. But God is not just aware. God is compassionate. And God desires to provide for us so that we will not collapse on the way because the journey is so, so hard. And then the final response of Jesus I want to highlight. It's summarized here in verse 37 where it says, They all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. Do you remember the response to the question initially? How much bread do you have? And the disciples say, a little. Bit of bread, some meager meat. So this meager meat and these bits of bread, they're transformed into satisfaction. Wow. Did God take what was insufficient and make it enough? Not to get into semantics, we've used a lot of language about God being enough today. I want to push that a little bit. I don't think this is an image, this is not an episode where we see that God met the need. God didn't take a little and make it enough. God took a little and he transformed it into overflow. Overflow. Every single story, all six of the stories, talk about an abundance of leftovers. People got all they wanted, and there was still so much more. Out of the limited came abundance. Not just enough, abundance. 
It brings to mind Psalm 23 in that little phrase in verse 5 that my cup overflows. And this verse bothers me a little bit because I can't figure out why the cup needs to overflow. And it's not just because I think it's messy. And I don't like messes. I want to clean that up quick. It's not just because I think it's messy. It's because I can't understand. You know what? Full is fine for me. Full is fine. I don't need it to overflow. Full is fine. Why keep pouring? Why keep pouring beyond what the vessel can provide? Why keep transforming to get seven basketfuls or 12 basketfuls of leftover? Why keep doing that? It seems so unnecessary. The Celtics, Celtic Christianity, they have this phrase when they talk about God. They say that God is gloriously wasteful. Could these leftovers, could this overflowing cup be for us a glimpse of the boundless generosity of God? I think we're getting pictures here of a God who gives and gives. Not simply to meet our needs, but to express a divine love which is always abundant, extravagant, more than enough, gloriously wasteful, and overflowing. In Exodus 34, there's this interaction between God and Moses. And I I find it an interesting interaction because it's a time when God talks about God's self. The Lord speaks words about the Lord. And uh, verse 6 says this. uh, The Lord, the Lord. Remember, this is coming out of the Lord's mouth. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding. This is God's testimony about God's very self. And then we see this testimony embodied in Jesus and these miracle feedings. We see compassion and abundance. So I'm going to leave you with one question today. Are you, tr- are you trusting in the compassion and in the abundant generosity of God more than you are focused on your lack of resources or on your insufficiency? Where is your greater attention and trust right now? Are you trusting more in the abundance and the generosity of God than you are focused on your insufficiency, your lack of resources? Before Denise uh, comes to lead us to the table, I want, I want to invite you into a very simple exercise. If you're comfortable, I want to invite you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine, I want you to bring to mind whatever situation is real in your life right now. This, whatever situation for you right now needs resources from you, but you sense you don't have what is required. 
you don't have the resources that are needed for this situation. Can you bring that to mind? And then I want to invite you to to adopt a posture of just holding your palms up, a, a gesture of both offering, a gesture of both surrendering, but also a gesture of receiving. And as you hold that posture, would you listen and hear the words of Jesus? Bring whatever you've got to me. Trust, trust in my compassion. Believe in my abundant generosity. Bring whatever you've got to me.